Good morning again. Good morning. It is great to be in the Lord's house today, and um, um, I'd give him a hint of how to get in all the pictures, but I don't want to ruin it for him. I mean, if you're all the time working, you just show up in the pictures. I mean, I'm not sure what the rest of them were doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead. And, I wasn't going to tell you all this, but I'm going to, somebody accused me the first day. Um, they were telling people they cut down five trees, and I didn't cut down but one tree. And I didn't even finish cutting that tree down the first day. It took me half the next day. But then um, when that same news reporter came out the next day, um, he said, I can't believe you got that whole tree cut down in one day. Um, so it was fun, folks. I'm grateful for um, all the guys that immediately rallied to the calls. We had um, 8, 9, 10, as many as 11 um, one day. We worked um, all Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and um, we're able to help a few folks out on Nam Wesley and Renegar, and so um, I am grateful for um, all those guys that, that showed up and, and helped out, and um, um, hopefully the name of Jesus was lifted high. If you got your Bible this morning, get it and open to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going to read, um, you might want to keep it open to there, I'm um read Several verses in the beginning, and then I'll read a little bit more, and then as the morning progresses, I'll go back to um, that fifth chapter several times. Matthew um, chapter 5, Jesus is um, teaching his disciples. Um, they have gathered, and he begins to um, speak in um, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then after um, Jesus said that, he talked a little bit about salt and light and what we were as disciples. And then um, he talks about um, the law. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore... Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others according will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I just pray today that it will speak clearly, that Father, um, it will penetrate our hearts, that Father, the Holy Spirit will have free reign in our lives, that Father, today, that um, again, you will continue to just um, work on us, Father, so that we can be all that you have called us to be. 
Father, help us to realize that, Father, um, life is a journey. And, Father, um, in that journey, you have promised to be with us. You have promised your presence in our, in our lives, in our daily affairs. Father, you have promised the Holy Spirit will fill us and give us wisdom and courage and strength. Father, help us to realize what it means to be a child of God. Help us to understand um, what you speak when you speak to your disciples, to your children. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. It's pretty obvious when you look at me, um, I was never a great athlete. You know, there's something about this physique that just, you know, it doesn't blend well to, you know, it wasn't tall enough to play basketball. It wasn't big enough to play football. I mean, yeah, it just, it, it wasn't, but um, to some of y'all surprised, now some of you that's known me for a while wouldn't be totally shocked, but um, in 1966, I held um, a record. In 1966, I held the, the state record for the under 12 age group. Um, for the 50-yard dash. Um, I could run the 50-yard dash in just over six seconds, and um, way back then, that was flying along from an 11-year-old kid, you know? And so um, the problem was I couldn't run very long. <laughs> that, that was the problem. Um, my little short legs would take off fast, but then they just... And um, um, I, I, I ran the 100-yard dash on a routine basis and never once won the 100-yard dash. I finished second tons of times. I finished third in a lot of meets, but never, never won the 100 yard. It always seemed like in the last three feet, five feet, that long leg guy next to me would, um, would cross the finish line um, uh, ahead of me. And so, you know, but it was fun. It was fun, and, and I got to enjoy that. And um, the longer I ran, the worse it got. They at one time tried me to get to run the 220, and um, I never even finished in the top three in it. And so it, it, that was obvious. And so coaches are always looking for a way to score points at track meets. And so, you know, he's always looking for his athletes. Well, if you can do this, maybe you can do this. And, you know, and, and so at one point, um, I actually tried the high jump, but you kind of look at the body and tell that didn't work too good either. And, you know, and so, but it was fun. It was fun, and I enjoyed um, some of those years and some of those things. But the high jump is a strange event. The high jump is a strange event. Um, as far as I know, the high jump and the, the, the pole vault are, are the only two events that when you clear the bar, they raise the bar. I mean, you think you've made it, you clear it, and then they raise it again. You know, it's one of those things. It's the, they're the only events in field and track where the winners end up as losers because you continue to jump until you no longer can clear the bar. <coughs> and um, in 1912, the standard for the high jump was established, six feet, six inches. It took over 40 years for them to reach the next milestone. The next milestone, they said, someday somebody will clear the seven-foot mark. And in 1956, somebody jumped seven foot, five-eighths of an inch. It took almost 40 more years. In 1993, the next milestone was um, accomplished, and somebody cleared eight feet. Eight feet point zero four inches. You know, that's the, 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 the standard. It's been 25 years, and nobody has still broken that standard. Eight foot is the mark in, in the high jump. Um, you know, they continue to try to, and look, that record has been done one time by one person on one occasion. It's never been duplicated. 
But that is the standard. That's, that's the standard for it. It is the standard by which all other high jumps are measured. You know, if a jump doesn't meet that standard, they don't raise the bar. You know, Jesus comes along, and Jesus is speaking to the multitude. Jesus is teaching his disciples, the followers of Christ, and he comes along and he, he looks at the righteousness of those that were considered righteous, the very best, the most religious people of the day, and he raised the bar to a level that most everybody considered impossible to reach. I mean, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were universally accepted as the best of the best. They, they were the world record holders in law keeping. That's who the Pharisees were. And Jesus comes along and Jesus says, you've got to do better than that. Jesus comes along and he says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness must exceed. Your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. And, you know, I can only imagine what some of the people there that day thought. You know, as this group was gathered and they were listening and, you know, and you're thinking the world record and that's not good enough? I mean, I can do what the world record says is the best that's ever been done and you're telling me that's not good enough? You know, you're telling me what I've been told is perfection is full of holes. You're telling me what I, I thought was, was, was flawless is unacceptable to God. And Jesus looked at the very religious folks of the day and then he raised the bar. You know, over the past um, few weeks, we've been talking about raising the bar. And um, this wasn't where I intended to go this morning when, when I'd laid stuff out several weeks back. And um, I, I kind of feel like the preacher that, you know, went to a new church. And about the fifth Sunday, he had preached the same message. And the deacons came to him and says, um, preacher, that's a really good message. But, you know, after five weeks, I mean, don't you think you've got another message? And he says, as soon as you get that one right, I'll give you another one. You know, and so I think when we talk about raising the bar as a church, I think it is imperative that we understand where God set the bar. That what Jesus says when he says, um, if you're going to raise the bar, this is what it means. And Jesus looked at the record and said it wasn't sufficient and he raised the bar. And it had to be a shocking statement for the people of Jesus' day because, you know, remember what Jesus just told these people. Jesus got them, and, and he's teaching them, and he says, blessed, blessed, blessed. You know, and then he just starts down the path, and he talks about all these. He says, blessed are the poor, and they can relate to that. Um, you know, and blessed are those that mourn. Okay, they can relate to that. Blessed are those that hunger. I, he's going down the list, and they're saying, okay, okay, okay. And then all of a sudden, he gets to the end, and he says, well... As good as the law keepers have been at keeping the law, you've got to be better at keeping the law than they were if you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And all of a sudden, these people, that's impossible. <laughs> we'll never get in. I mean, if the Pharisees aren't good enough and they can't get into the kingdom of heaven, how in the world are we going to get into the kingdom of heaven? Because we can't do as good. And so you've got to kind of go back and look and see how Jesus treated God's rules. What, what did Jesus say about God's rules? And, 
You know, Jesus was a countercultural leader of his day. Jesus arrives on the scene and Jesus has turned the world upside down. Jesus has turned organized religion as the people knew it upside down. And he's coming in and, and, yeah, and the, the leader that you would think that would come in and say, okay, I'm the new leader. I, I'm going to change the old rules. We're going to do things a new way. We're gonna, here's what you might expect from a, a countercultural leader. And Jesus comes along and he doesn't do that. And, and so the people look and they say, what does this revolutionary guy think about God's laws? I, I mean, I, I thought he was going to do everything different. What, what, what is this Jesus guy? And Jesus makes a statement that's crystal clear. Jesus makes, he says, do not think. And when you read it in the context of what he says, what he says is, do not even think for a moment. He says, don't think for a second. He says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Abolish is a strong word. It means to completely throw out. He says, don't think I've come to throw out. He says, I know what you're thinking. He says, and he says, don't miss the point. He says, I'm not throwing out the law of the Old Testament. He says, I'm not doing away with all of that. He says, I'm not here to do with that. And I just imagine those people going, what? Well, I mean, everything that you've been teaching us has been contrary to what we've heard. And you've told us to, to love those that hate us. And you've told us to love our neighbors, ourselves. And, and then, and then what, what do you mean? I mean, you, know, what, what, you, you just challenged everything we believe. And it sounds like that is what you came to do. And now you're telling us you didn't come to abolish the law. Jesus did come in to usher an upside down kingdom. That's for sure. I mean, Jesus did come in and, and, and turn the world on its head. That, that's no, but he didn't mean breaking or changing or doing away with God's rules for living. Now, he said, I may challenge some of your assumptions about what those rules mean. But he says, I didn't come to change God's law. He says, I didn't come to change God's law at all. He says, God's principles for living. He says, I didn't have come to abolish God's laws and, and precepts and principles. He says, I came to fulfill them. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of every prophecy that has to do with the Messiah. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of every prophecy that has to do with the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the doctrine of the Old Testament, especially concerning the doctrine of God. And he is the fulfillment of um, the sacrificial system that we find in the Old Testament. He became the sacrifice for our sins. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Jesus' mission was to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. I think that's pretty clear about what Jesus says about it. And so, you know, what does Jesus say about God's laws? I think there's three things he says in his passage that just stand out. The first thing he says is they're permanent. He says they're permanent. He says they are absolutely permanent. He says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will in any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He, he says they're permanent. You know, he says, what he's talking about in this phrase, he, he literally says, you know, like the little tail on the G and, the, and, and the, when you make a Y, you make, and when you, you, you cross the T and you dot the I, he says none of that's going to change. He says every detail is correct. 
God's not going to change His mind. God's law is permanent. God's principle for living life is not going to change because God does not change. He says they're permanent. He says they're unchanging. He says they're, they're, they're fact. And then he says, on top of the fact that they're permanent and they're unchanging, he says they're relevant. He says they're relevant. They were relevant in the day of Moses and they're relevant today. He says they're relevant in your life. You know, he says they should be practiced and they should be taught. He says anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do those, the same will be called in the least of the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself quoted scripture often. Jesus himself kept the law flawlessly. I mean, it's a pretty clear statement what Jesus thinks about God's law. Jesus thought it was of utmost importance. And Jesus came to fulfill that loss. And Jesus expects total devotion to God's laws by his followers. He fulfilled everyone in principle. And that still applies to us. And what's kind of ironic about that whole situation is the very law that he came to fulfill, the very law that he upheld, is the very law that he is supposedly accused of breaking and um, put to death for. The very thing that he said was the very rules that he himself made and kept flawlessly for those laws he was put to death. You know, seeing how Jesus treated the law of God only begs to ask the question, how does Jesus expect us to see the law of God? Well, what's the natural progression? How does Jesus want us to treat the law of God? You know, quite simply, I mean, in the simplest of ways, he wants a righteous heart, not external devotion. He wants a righteous heart, not external devotion. You know, that verse that I read, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The law and the righteousness of the Pharisees. The, you know, we talk about the Ten Commandments. How many of y'all believe the world would be a better place if everybody in the world obeyed the Ten Commandments? We know that. I mean, it would change the world in which we live upside down. It would do exactly what Jesus... Ten Commandments. If we followed the Ten Commandments, it would change the world. Well, the Pharisees had come along, and they had done better than that. They'd come up with 613 laws. And they'd broke down some of those Ten Commandments into ten more and ten more. I mean, they had them really divided. 613 laws. They had 248 laws about things that you were supposed to do. And then I think this is where some of the Baptist sad faces come in because they also had 365 laws that you couldn't do. There was one for every day of the year. <laughs> every day of the year, there was something God wouldn't let you do. I mean, I, that, I think that's sometimes how we approach it. You know, there's all these things that we um, I can't do, and there's, yeah, we're supposed to do these things. But look, these Pharisees aspired to keep them flawlessly. You know, if anyone was going to be considered righteous, really, really righteous, you'd have to figure them all out. You'd have to figure them all out and keep them all. And to those people, Jesus comes 
and raises the bar. And Jesus says, your righteousness isn't good enough. We struggle to keep 10 commandments, much less 613, folks. And Jesus says, even if you keep them all, if you keep 10, if you keep the three, 613, it doesn't matter. You still hadn't done. And so the rest of the fifth chapter begins to talk about that. It begins to flesh out why that's true. You know, and we, we won't cover them all, but we will cover some of them. But the, the, 20, the 21st verse, 21st verse, um, Jesus talks about anger. And he says, you've heard it said that, said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Yeah, wait a second. He, 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 takes, he takes it and goes it a step further. I, I mean, now as a kid, I always kind of laughed at the Pharisees because I, I thought these guys were, I, I could see them in big robes and just, you know, and, and obeying everything and watch how they walked. And, but when Jesus talks about the Pharisees, he comes along and he says, a Pharisee would never dream of pulling out a gun and shooting someone. You know, he said that wouldn't happen. He says they knew they couldn't kill anybody. He says, yeah, but he says they would happily destroy somebody with words. If there was another religious guy in another town that they thought might be getting a little ahead of them on something, oh, they, they'd just shoot him down. I mean, they'd, they didn't mind slandering him. They, they, they'd wear him out. I mean, yeah, whatever. I mean, but, oh, no, they, they and Jesus says, no, no. He says, what, what, what's the deal? And then, then, you know, as you go down through the passage in and, and, and the 23rd verse, you know, he talks about giving at church. And, you know, we, we gathered Dan a, a few minutes ago. We took up an offering. And Jesus said, look, if you gave an offering today, that's really great. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you came today and you put money in the offering plate, but you were mad at your brother or sister, or you were mad at somebody, he says, you shouldn't have put your money in the plate. He said, you should have kept your money in your pocket and gone, found that brother or sister and made peace with them. And then came back because he says, giving your offering is worshiping God. And he says, you can't worship God if your heart's not in the right place. And your heart's not in the right place if you're mad at your brother or sister. And, and so that, he says, that's the difference. He said, it's that, and in verse 27, he talks about adultery. I mean, look, these guys would have never had an affair. There was a rule against that. They would have never done that. But, you know, there wasn't nothing about viewing online pornography. <laughs> I, I mean, that didn't quite make the list. And so... You know, they'd have had to write 614 to add that one, and they didn't have that one, so that would have been okay. I mean, and when you, you come down a few more verses, you get to verse, verse 31, he, they talk about adultery again. Now, you know, Jesus talks about it in a different way, and, and again, these guys wasn't about to cheat on their spouses by sleeping with somebody else. Okay, no, 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 they, they knew that was breaking God's law, and they wouldn't do that, but, but in a divorce, that was a different issue. You know, if I found somebody that I like better and I want to sleep with that person and that wanted to be my new lover, well, they were quick to find a reason to divorce their first wife and get rid of her so they could marry the second one and sleep with her. Because, see, that, that, that wasn't breaking the law. That was just working my way around the law. And so Jesus looks at these things. And, oh, and it goes on, folks. In the 38th verse, he talks about re retaliation. And he, he says, look, the Pharisees would never, if you did something to one of the Pharisees, he said, they wouldn't have done more back to you than you did to them. 
He said, oh no, the, the law said they could. But he said, they also knew the law said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So whatever you did, you could be guaranteed that they were going to give it back every bit as good as you gave it to them. And, and Jesus says, no, that, that, that's not the way it works. I mean, yeah, and, and so the, the Pharisees knew the rules, but they didn't know God. The Pharisees knew the rules, but they didn't know God. They cared little for the principles behind God's rule. At one point, Jesus said, he said, you know, he says that they can strain a gnat and swallow a camel. That's what he says. He says, that's the way they are. He says, don't be like them. He says, your righteousness must exceed their righteousness by a long way. He says, their version of righteousness is a pretty sorry version. Now, look. I can tell you, particularly as a kid, that the Pharisees were comical to me. The Pharisees, were, I'd read these stories and say, oh man, what a bunch of idiots. I, I mean, can you believe these guys? Can, can you believe what, what Jesus, how Jesus wore them out? I mean, look, just look at them. I mean, you know, but the older you get, at some point they don't get to be quite so funny. Because see, at some point you realize that sometimes my life doesn't look a whole lot different than their life. And so, see, then it gets to be funny because it's not about them. It might be about me. And sometimes it might not be about me. It might be about you. And so when you look at it from that perspective, you know, we all know God's command to worship God. And so we all show up on Sunday morning to worship God. We, we're not going to miss, our, you know, our duty to worship God. So we're going to be here on Sunday and worship God. But on Monday morning or Friday night... Oh, wait a second. I mean, I, what do you mean worship God on Friday night? I, I've got other, well, when it says worship God, it means worship God all the time. It doesn't mean on Sunday morning, you know. But, but no, no I, I, I remember as a kid, as a kid, they, they used to have envelopes and they had little boxes you checked on them, you know. Where, did you read your Bible every day? Did you, did you give? Did you? I always thought it was amazing. The, the box I always thought was comical on the owner was one of them was attendance. Are you here? Well, I mean, how can you fill out the card if you're not here, folks? I mean, you know, but, but you'd, and look, and your teacher didn't know if you'd read the Bible every day. So, I mean, you could check that little bar. I mean, you know, and if you could kind of wing it a little bit, you could even check that you studied your lesson. Because, I mean, I could quickly skim and ask some question, make them think I'd read the lesson. I mean, and so, and that's what Jesus is talking about. He says a lot of religious folks, he said, have checked the little boxes. But he says, if if you really think, I don't know that you just checked the boxes and you really didn't do it, you're the fool. <laughs> Jesus says, I know whether you worshiped me every day. <laughs> I know whether you read your Bible every day. I know whether you, you, you know, he, he, he talks about all of these things. And, you know, and uh, look, we, we've got some wonderful Christian singles in, in the world. And, and a lot of those Christian singles have made the commitment to be a virgin. To, there, there's a rule about that in case you didn't know. I mean, it, it says that's what you're supposed to do. But you know what? In a lot of those cases, everything else other than sexual intercourse is okay. I mean, everything up to that line, I mean, I, I didn't cross that line, so I'm still okay. You, you know, and, and, and Christian parents, sometimes we take great pains to, to make sure what our kids watch on the television is, is, is proper. And, and there's certain shows we're not going to let them watch. And we don't want them to see that because garbage in, garbage out. We understand that. And so we're good parents. But when the kids go to bed, the television rules change. You, you know, and I, 
And goodness, we want to practice good stewardship. <laughs> we want to practice good stewardship. We're going to practice good stewardship to the penny and not a penny more. And we miss the whole point of what he talks about when he says that we should be generous givers and give with a cheerful heart. You know, I, and you know, it would, it would only be appropriate if I would mention it, not that anybody here since, you know, most of us are of, are of the Baptist faith and we don't participate. But, you know, you know what season it is. I mean, I think today there's a parade in Baton Rouge um, one of the parades in Baton Rouge getting ready for the big Mardi Gras season. And, you know, and there's a lot of folks that for, for Lent, that, you know, there's some sin or there's some indulgence. There's a, they they want to give up for, for X number of days because, you know, that, that's, that's cool. and pro But that's what they make Fat Tuesday for, so you can do it a bunch beforehand. I mean, and then we look at the Pharisees and laugh at them, and it's not so funny. See, I'm not so sure sometimes when we look at our own life that, those are all the attitudes that the Pharisees had. A person that is more interested in keeping the rules and loving God. And see, in my life and in your life, sometimes we've got to be real careful that we're not just keeping the rules instead of loving God. Because I think sometimes even in our lives, we get to the point that we start checking off boxes and forget why we're doing it. And externally, it looks pretty good. And technically, we never break the rules. But when I hear what Jesus is saying, <laughs> Jesus says, if you really want to live that way, good luck. Because you're going to need it. Because it's not going to work so good. You know, he says, you'll never clear the bar trying to cross the T's and dot the I's. He says, because if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, God says your righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. And they were good at keeping all 613 of them, folks. They didn't miss any of them. And it wasn't good enough. And I can promise I'm not even close on that list of 613. I, so how does he give us practical ways to display that greater level of righteousness. What, what does he say to us? Because I'm like the guy sitting on the hill that I was happy when he said, blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the merciful. I was doing good. I was going to get in. I was going to get rewarded. And then he gets to this back over here and he says, but whoa, he says, you, you've got to exceed the righteous. And, and whoa, I, what, what about all this? I, I mean, how do you do that? First, he says that your righteousness has to come from God, not you. He said, your righteousness has to come from God. Romans, the third chapter and 21st verse says, but now righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then later Paul writes, he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. Paul called his righteousness filthy rags. If you go back and you do the little study about that, the, the, the terminology, Paul says his, his righteousness was about as good as toilet paper. <laughs> That's a really good picture for it. Well, no, he says, really, my righteousness is about as good as used toilet paper. That's what Paul says. <laughs> 
And, and I'm frightened to death. If, if Paul thought that's how much his own righteousness was worth, woe unto me. I, I, I mean, you know, and, and when Jesus comes into our life, God gives us his righteousness. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why Jesus shed his blood and gave his life. That's why Jesus expressed love in the ultimate way. That's what it was all about, his incredible love. He was the perfect sacrifice. He died for you and me who are imperfect. You know, he tells us that in Christ we find righteousness. In him we find his righteousness. Because in him all the requirements of the law were met. And it's only if we have Him in our life and in our hearts can that righteousness be made. Yeah, the great righteousness of the heart is only possible to those that are born again. You know, we can talk about raising the bar all we want, but if you don't get that, we're kind of wasting our time. The only way your righteousness can be acceptable is if you're born again, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The other practical thing Jesus tells us in this passage, he says you got to get out of the spotlight. He says you got to get out of the spotlight. He, he says, the, the, the first verse of the sixth chapter, he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He says, if you do what you do, if you're checking the boxes, if you're coming, if you're putting in the offering plate, if you're teaching the class, he said, if you're doing all of those things so that man will know that you're righteous, he says, then that's great. Man has given you your reward and you ain't got none coming from God. He, he says, whatever you got, you got, and that's it. He says, when we follow the rules and it's not... He says, when we follow the rules, it's not for us to be exalted, it's for him to be exalted. He says, that's the reason we do it. He says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good, dude, good deeds and praise God. You know, I, I know that the six guys that were in the picture the other day, because several of us talked about it, I promise the first thought when um, we, we, somebody called us and told us that we'd made the, the, the cover of the Morning Advocate was, I hope they don't see me. I hope they see Jesus. Because, I mean, we, we didn't go out there to cut up trees. We didn't go out there to tarp roofs. So it's all right to say, well, you know, that's a bunch of good guys. <coughs> one thing, I'll never forget, we were in Missouri one day, and, and, and somebody was asking us about why we're there. And I said, well, let me make this perfectly clear to you, ma'am. I said, we're a pretty bunch of sorry guys. We're not here because she was talking about how good we were. And I said, no, ma'am. I said, we are actually not good guys at all. We're sinners saved by the grace of God. And the only reason we're here is because God showed grace to us and we want to show grace to you. You know, it's, it's not about us. It's about him. And folks, he says in, in our lives that that's, uh, you know, when, when, when that becomes the reality, he says you're starting to show a measure of righteousness. He says you have to become a lover of God more than a keeper of rules. He said, you have to become a lover of God more than a keeper of rules. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Pharisees were keepers of rules. They weren't lovers of God. 
And in some cases, it's pretty clear they didn't even care about God. It was about keeping the rules and their outward appearance and what, what all that mattered. You know, when, when we truly love God, we're more interested in pleasing Him than externally paying attention to the rules. Because see, if you're externally paying attention to the rules, you're probably keeping the rules for the sake of the rules, not because of the sake of love. He says, if you love me, you'll keep the rules. He says, if you love me, you'll do what I've commanded. You know, we've been working hard now for, for a year on, on constitution and bylaws and guidelines and, and all of those kind of things. And I, I by no means want to dismiss anything that Brother Frank and we, we've had dozens of people that have been proofing and reading and doing all of that stuff and, and, and all of that stuff. But I'm just here to tell you, folks, a church that raises the bar operates on relationships, not rules. We operate on our relationship to our brothers and sisters and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And the rules are necessary. Don't, don't get me wrong. I understand they get, they, they've got to be there. But when it comes to committee functions and guidelines and business meetings, our only concern, the concern that will matter, is if we maintain the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in our dealings, in all that we do. Because if the Holy Spirit is leading and, and directing us and guiding us as we do all what we do, then we'll do the right thing. You can follow the rules sometimes to do the wrong thing. Jesus says that God's rules are important, important for him and important for us. But an external display, an external display of conformance, even if you set the new world record, fails to reach the depth of love that God expects from his disciples. If you externally can keep every rule right and you set the new standard, but you don't do it because you love God and because you know that he loves you, you have failed. Can you keep the rules? Can you raise the bar? <laughs> no. Will you let Jesus help you raise the bar? Because, you know, I, are you ready to let Jesus help you? I mean, confess your sinful nature. Confess the fact that who we truly are. I mean, you know, that, that's it. Accept the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross. Dying. Sacrificing his perfect life for your sinful life. You know, exchanging his life for yours. And in the process of doing that, you receive his righteousness. And that's the righteousness that God's looking for. That's what God's looking for in all of our lives. You know, I'm convinced that on any given Sunday in churches around the world, churches in America, there are folks that are not yet convinced that Jesus raised the bar. I, I believe that. There are people convinced that Jesus really didn't raise the bar because they're still trying to keep all the rules. But Jesus says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not Howard's words, that's Jesus' words. So if we're going to raise the bar... If we're going to raise the bar in our personal lives and raise the bar in the life of Live Oak Baptist Church, 
That's what it says. I mean, that's, that's what, what, what it means. And the only way that can happen is if we raise the level of faith we have in Jesus Christ. Because see, as we raise the level of faith that we have in Jesus Christ, we realize that Jesus Christ is all that Jesus Christ has promised and that Jesus Christ provides everything he's promised. And suddenly our love for him grows because we realize how much he loves us and our actions show it. So see, I am grateful for every committee and, and so I, I hope I don't offend everybody this morning because I want you to keep doing it. I know we've got committees that are working hard, and I appreciate that because I'm a human being, and you're a human being, and we need accountability. In some way, the only way that we as humans know how to do accountability is to give us a list and says, okay, I'm committed. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to commit. And so every now and then I can go back to my list and say, how am I doing? Okay, so I understand that. So when we talk about raising the bar, sometimes we, we, we expect this. If you're going to be a Sunday school teacher, these are the expectations we have in 2017 for you as a teacher. You're going to be here on time. You're going to be prepared. You're going to, this is, that's, we, we, I don't know how else to do it. I, I, I really don't. I, if I can, you know, I, I would, but I, but I don't. But the reality, folks, um, you're not going to raise the bar on your own. And you're not going to raise the bar by keeping all those things. The most religious people of Jesus' day could not get it done. 613 rules. You break one, you're gone. One, you're gone. Folks, Jesus wants us to raise the bar. But raising the bar is going to start by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if you're here today and you've not done that, yet, I'm convinced there are people in every church in America that have been part of the church for years and years and years, and they've kept all the rules, they've checked all the boxes, they've done the whole thing, but they've never given their heart and life to Jesus Christ. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, if you've never accepted the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood, paid the price for your sins, gave his life in exchange for your life, that's where you got to start. You need to start this morning. Until you do that, you can't even get to the bar. Maybe you've done that, but for whatever reason, you've not been obedient. Oh, maybe that's rule 614. No, it's not. Maybe you need to be obedient and follow him in baptism. Because it is one of the steps that obedient people do. You know, maybe you just, you, you've been out of church and you keep saying that you're going to get back in church and you came in today to visit and didn't know what the crazy preacher was going to do. And you just realized today that, you know, you need to be part of a church that understands what it means to be righteous. And you want to be part of that church. Because you want to be part of a church that raises the bar, that makes a difference in our community. Come join us. Come join and be part of what God's doing. In field and track, when you clear the bar, they raise the bar. So even the so-called winners end up as failures. I, I just, I, I can't get that out of my mind, folks. And you know, I, you can be a so-called winner by even the local church's standard and end up being a loser. 
See, the only standard that matters is Jesus' standard. And Jesus says the standard is that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the most religious people of his day. Because they were more interested in keeping the rules than loving Jesus. We must love Jesus more. And when we love Jesus more, everything else will take care of itself. Father, I love you and I trust you and I thank you for who you are. Father, I just pray today that, Father, I have not spoken, but you have spoken. And, Father, that the Holy Spirit has had the freedom to, to move in our hearts and challenge us. That, Father, we will continue to be a people that are, are not satisfied with status quo. And, Father, we, we, we don't want to raise the bar so that we can have more people join this church or so that we can... It's not about any of that. Father, it's about the fact that we are your disciples and we know that you love us and we know that Jesus died for us. And, Father, out of that love that you've shown to us, we want to return that love. Father, that we want to give our best to you. And, Father, as we give our best to you, Father, you'll bless us and you'll bless this church and you'll bless this community in ways that we can't figure out. But, Father, you'll do that. Father, I pray today if there's, if there's a person here today that needs to, to publicly confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that the Holy Spirit will give them the freedom to do that, that they'll come and tell the world that today is the day that they want the righteousness that only Jesus offers, that, 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 that they've, they've tried to become righteous on their own, but today they want to exchange their life for your life because it's the perfect life. Father, if there's somebody here today that needs to make some other decision, Father, you just give them the courage to do so. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.